0: Every life has a story. I almost couldn't speak after the nine o'clock service. I got up to preach. I was so emotional watching the stories of lives transformed by Jesus. It took me a minute or so. I tried to compose myself tonight. Friends, we are men and women who have been touched by the love of God and transformed. We all come with different backgrounds, different experiences, different hurts, a different sense of brokenness, and Jesus meets us where we're at, and changes us. And as we think about being mission-minded and telling our story, we need to remember that it doesn't matter who you are, your story is powerful because it is God's story in your life. Don't let anyone ever say to you, you have an ordinary story. People often say to me, I have an ordinary story. I don't have a, a wild story. I wasn't into drugs. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't go to prison. No, no. Every story is a powerful story of God's transformation and I want you to think that if someone asks you the question, well, something like, well, I didn't know you were religious. I didn't know you were a Christian. Got that up on the screen. If we could do that. Thanks. Um, or how did that happen on why are you a Christian? They may ask that question in different ways. And uh, we want you to be ready to give an answer for that question. You see, sometimes it may be at work and someone asks you a question. I remember being at a chiropractor once and he's working on my back and adjusting my back and he's asking me about why I'm a Christian and how I became a Christian. And I'm trying to speak with my face down in the hole on the, on the bed, trying to sort of turn around and, and not lose my back. At a pizza shop, going to order a pizza and all of a sudden you have a conversation, what are you doing or what do you do? And it comes up that you're a Christian and while you're waiting for your pizza, you're telling your story. Or at the mechanic or at the sports field, at a footy match, Maybe uh, after the game, you've just had a win or a loss, whatever it happens to be. And the story comes out that you go to church and someone then asks you about that. At university, at a netball court, I remember once being at a netball court and a woman said, oh, it's interesting that you're Greek. Uh, How did you become a Christian? How come you're a pastor? There we are counting schools, goal, tick, tick, and telling the story as we go. Once on an aeroplane, it could be on an aeroplane. I remember playing with my, when my kids were younger and uh, up and down the aeroplane and uh, some women were wa- watching me and uh, we got into a conversation and I happened to say, they asked me what I did for work and I said I was a pastor and the mother said to the daughter, I told you who he was. <laughs> I don't know, did it say pastor across my head or something? And then for the next 30 minutes I was talking to them about God and my faith and how I come to Jesus and I asked them about their faith and whether they were churchgoers and they told me their story of having been in church, but through hurts they had moved away. This is all on an aeroplane flying across Australia. We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have and explain how we've come to know Jesus. It might happen saying at a hotel, maybe at a youth group or the kids club, if you're a youth leader, a youth might ask you that question. We need to be ready. Last week, Matt spoke to us about the importance of prayer. And I want to take you to this verse as we uh, launch in. This is one of my favourite verses. It says this, the Apostle Paul asking the church, at Thessalonica, to pray for him. Pray for us that the message of the Lord, listen to what he asks you for prayer, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured or glorified just as it was with you. Just as you received the message, will you now pray that it spreads not slowly, not quietly, but it spreads rapidly, and it is on it. There's another way in which you can translate this verse: is this, pray that the message of the Lord may run, run, and triumph, just as it was with you. And the picture is picture of the Sydney Olympic Stadium, and now run is doing a 400 meter race. Picture the gospel running, right? It's running and running, and the thousands of people, 80,000 people in the in the stadium are cheering on the gospel. Run and triumph and people are seeing how beautiful the gospel is, how beautiful transformation is by Jesus and they're applauding the gospel. I picture Kathy Freeman winning the 400 metres at the Olympics in 2000 and the place goes wild. The picture is, let it go wild for the message of Jesus. That's what you're praying for. Let it go wild for the message of Jesus and his transformation. Run and triumph. And it will do that as you tell your story. Friends, in uh, we haven't had a Bible reading because we're going to read the Bible now in this first part of the sermon. What what I'm going to do is really tell you Paul's story, his testimony. Then I'm going to tell you uh, Sam Chan's testimony. Then we have two other people from our church to share their testimony. I wanted you to get some illustrations of what it is to tell your story. And the Apostle Paul was under arrest. He's before some authorities. He's in prison. He's on his way to Rome. And he's before a guy called Festus, who is the Roman governor, who knows nothing about Israelite religion, Jewish religion. And there is the Jewish king Agrippa II. And Paul has an opportunity to speak to these two men and their crowds about his faith. And he divides. I'm dividing up his testament into three parts. What's well, a good way to think about your testimony? Number one, before knowing Christ. Number two, how you met Christ. And thirdly, how what's life like after meeting Jesus, right? So think about your testament in those three ways. Paul starts, handle number one, before Christ, Acts twenty six, one to eleven. If we can go to the next one. Thank you. I did all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. That summarizes what it's like. He describes what he believed before coming to Jesus. Let me read it to you out of Acts twenty six. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Notice how Paul starts. He's warm, he's positive, he's respectful. He's not aggressive. He's not abrasive. He's not awing people what to believe. He seeks to win over his audience. Then he says, you know, the Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child. You guys know me, he says, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Guys, I'm one of you. You know, we're family, we're same religion, same area. You guys know me. He wants to build that identification. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. Our ancestors, the hope that God has given us. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? He's happy to own up that he was a deep, serious religious guy, Jewish guy. He said, I'm one of you, I'm a Pharisee. And the hope what I'm preaching is linked to the Old Testament scriptures. Our scriptures, you see. What they had in common. And I love how he drops in, it's always a good hint, drops in a message of the resurrection. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? As you start to tell your testimony, you always throw in, it's just amazing how God would love us that he would send his son to die for us. Isn't it amazing then God raises Jesus? So as you're telling your story, make sure you're articulating the gospel. Let it filter your story. This is not about you. When you tell your story, it's about God's story in and through you. Okay, keep that in mind. Don't just tell them how, what you're like. Tell them what God has been doing in you. He goes on to say, listen... I am so associated with you guys, I used to be, that I persecuted Christians. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Guys, I was so anti this Jesus guy, I wanted his people dead. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. His pre-Christ experience and beliefs. He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' people. He would go out of his way to put him to death, he says. Then he has the aha moment. Always ends some story, people think, well, yeah, wow, you were like that. And what happened? Because now you're a Christian. What happened? What changed you? What was it? Did you meet someone? Was there a story? And friends, Paul's story, that we call it Handle 2, he met Christ in a somewhat miraculous way, didn't he? As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven and I heard a voice. Now, I'm assuming most of you did not become Christians because of something like this. right? I never heard a voice, it's not like I was walking along God said, Ange, you're going the wrong direction, repent, get on your knees, come and follow me. I went, yeah, okay, God, sure. No, but for Paul, that's his story. You will have a different story. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, just notice, let me make a comment in passing, notice how often he, he mentions his name, King Agrippa. One of the things, if you're building friends and influencing people, use people's names, will you? When you use their names, Kathy, John, whatever it happens to be, it says that you value them. Because name speaks of the person. Don't just ignore them. and just you. Always try to learn people's names. And he's constantly saying, oh, King Agrippa was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Notice he's persecuting Jesus' followers, but in that doing that, he's persecuting Jesus. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now a goad, by the way, is a stick with a pointy area that you would push into a stubborn ox to get it to move. And Jesus is saying, "Paul, you're just like that. I'm giving you in the right direction, but you won't listen. You're kicking against it. Then I ask, "Who are you, Lord?" If you hear a voice from heaven, you've got to ask the question, right? It says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And then God gives them a mission. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins And a place among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. In the very commission of Jesus, he's articulating the gospel. So when you tell people how you met Christ, make sure you explain what you've come to believe. What is it that Jesus offers us? Forgiveness of sins, a place amongst those who are sanctified. Deliverance from, we go from darkness to light, out of the power of Satan to God. Life has been transformed through meeting Jesus. See, Paul has had a revelation and a calling saved by Jesus. He now knows that Jesus is the Son of God, the Saviour. He's been raised from the dead, and he now sends him on a mission. And in handle 3, Paul says, this is what happens after knowing Christ. Once you meet Christ, you've got to be transformed. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Radically changed. His life moved in a whole new direction. When you follow Jesus, everything changes. Remember when I came to faith at the age of 15, uh, Everything changed. I found peace with God. I no longer sought my security in my own goodness and my own religion, but in putting my faith in the Lord Jesus. And he said, Andrew, you no longer live for yourself now. You live for me and for my glory. Give yourself to the work of the gospel. So Paul says, So then, King Agrippa, notice his name again, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. He's going to the known world. I preached. He reminds them what the gospel is, that they should turn, repent and turn to God and demonstrate the repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. Here he is in front of the crowd. He's got an audience that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Before an enemy of Christ, he met Christ through a vision and a revelation. He now understands that Jesus is the Savior, now sent on a mission to live for God, preaching forgiveness and reconciliation with God. But he doesn't finish it there. He also has a concluding question. I love how he finishes because he wants now to challenge his listeners. And I guess when you're sharing your testimony with people, don't just say, oh, well, that's my story, goodbye. And then work out what to ask so then you can get a response from them, right? Do you believe the prophets? At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Right, Paul's just shared the gospel. You ever been in a situation like that? You share the truth and some guy says, yeah, no, you're an idiot, that's dumb. But then the other person, that's what Festus says, your great learning is driving you insane. And then he says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. This guy's still gentle. Now, if it was me, I would have said, you idiot, Festus. <laughs> no, no, he says, I am not insane, most excellent, Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Makes sense. The king is familiar with these things. My friend, King Agrippa, so he's now dividing the people who are against him. Oh, no, Festus, you know, Mr. King, he understands. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. King Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. Because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He's calling for a response, right? He shared the gospel; now he's asking for a response. And Agrippa said to Paul, "Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian?" He knows what Paul's up to. Paul replied, "Short time or long, I pray to God that not." not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I've shared the gospel sometimes with people in my story. They say, oh, you want me to become a Christian, don't you? I'm not going to become a Christian. I say, it's my hope and my prayer that one day you too would meet Jesus. That's why I tell you these stories, because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of heaven and hell. It matters what you decide today. This is not just my story. It's a story of a loving saviour. Before, how, afterwards. Let me uh, take you to an, another testimony by Australian, Asian-Australian evangelist Sam Chan. We'll throw his photograph up there as well. Some of us read this book last year, had to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. And he, in the middle of it, he talks about how to give a testimony in a way that's a little bit unusual. It tries to capture people's attention. Paul's done it a certain way. And it says, often we're Christians, and we start off, well, I grew up in a church, and I became a Christian when I was eight. Right. He, said, he says, suggests, I suggest don't do it that way. Don't let that be the first thing you say when you're sharing your story. He does it this way, and I, I met Sam yesterday, I chatted to him at the conference. Uh, he was speaking at this Undeceptions conference yesterday. And just, here's a, you heard who's heard Sam speak? He's funny, engaging, he's passionate, he loves Jesus, he wants to see life transformed. But he puts it this way, and uh, if you're Asian background, you'll understand him, and if you're not, you'll understand him still. This is how he puts it. He said, I'm a firstborn Asian son who is a high achiever. My mission in life was to study hard and become a doctor. If I could become a doctor, it would give me status, self-worth, and security, For example, in elementary school or primary school, I always asked my teacher for more work. Yes, I was that annoying kid in your class, he says. So I tried to achieve my mission by getting good grades. For example, in high school, while my friends were partying, I was busy studying. But the problem with being a high achiever is that it makes you proud and insecure at the same time. Hear that? Proud and insecure at the same time. You need more and more achievements to be somebody in your own eyes. For example, once I was a doctor, it wasn't enough for my self-worth. I also had to become a surgeon to be somebody in the medical community and in my own eyes. That's his before Christ. Then he comes to meeting Christ. Then he says this, but Jesus came to give me all the status, self-worth and security I need. I had grown up in a Christian family and had known Jesus all my life. He brings in that bit later on in the story when he's got their attention. But I don't think I fully understood understood this until someone helped me read the Bible and showed me the bit where Jesus is perfect so I don't have to be perfect. God loves me just the way I am because of, of what Jesus has done. I didn't need to be a doctor with qualifications to earn God's love. That's when I decided I didn't need to chase achievements to be secure. I didn't have to be proud of what I'd done, and yet insecure that I hadn't done enough. Instead, if I had Jesus, I could be humble and secure. Humble because it's Jesus who is perfect, not me. Secure because my status was found in Jesus, not me. So, he says, afterwards, right? Having come to Jesus. So now I no longer chase achievements to be somebody. For example, a few years ago, I had to decide if I wanted to remain in full-time medicine. In the past, I needed to be a doctor to feel important. People at parties want to talk to you, and bank managers want to lend you money. <laughs> but I was able to leave full-time medicine because it no longer mattered what others thought of me. I was important in God's eyes. Jesus is perfect, perfect so I don't have to be perfect to be somebody in God's eyes. Different angle, different way of presenting your truth and testimony to engage with people. And that can change all the time. I will tell my testimony in multiple ways, depending on who I'm speaking to. Are they Greek? Are they from an Orthodox or Catholic background? Are they Protestant? Are they atheists? You tell your story accurately differently. Now, so having heard these two stories, now I want you to hear two stories from people from our own congregation. So, firstly, Patty, where is she? Come and share your story with us.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Patty, if we haven't met. Um, And I just wanted to share a little bit of my life with you tonight around how I came to know Jesus. So I was born and raised in a Christian family, but I had two major problems with God. The first was suffering. Both of my parents have disabilities. Um, There were nights when I would get up in the middle of the night to get a cup of water or to go to the bathroom and my mum would still be up watching TV, endlessly massaging her leg to try and relieve the pain. Um, I was also bullied in primary school and I genuinely couldn't fit a good and powerful God in with my worldview. Although I knew all about him and all of the stories in the Bible, there was this huge disconnect between what I was hearing and what I was seeing. The second problem was myself. I thought I was doing a great job of running the show and I didn't really want to submit to God and how he expected me to live my life. I thought that all the problems I was having in primary school were just because all the people in my school were awful and that once I started at a new school, everything would change. So it was a really rude shock to me when I started year seven and everything felt the same. In the October school holidays of Year 7, I went to camp, as I had many times before, and I heard about a sower growing his seeds, a story I'd also heard many, many times. But I was really fed up with the way my life was going, and kind of for the first time, I decided to really listen. I realised that listening to this story about seeds which grew to 30, 60, 100 times, I could have a faith that actually changed my life. I've heard it said that some people have Jesus as their Lord, but not as their saviour. And I think for me, I actually had Jesus kind of as my saviour, but definitely not as my Lord. So at the end of that camp in year seven, I decided to give my life to Christ. And on the outside, it might look like nothing changed. My parents are still disabled, and actually, as they get older, their bodies are deteriorating and their disabilities are getting worse. There were mean girls in high school, and I'm sorry to break it to you, but there are mean girls now that I'm an adult as well. I'm actually a high school teacher, so I still deal with mean high school girls every day. Um, I still... Struggle with my pride regularly, you can ask my husband, Tom, and whether it's because I think I know how to do something better than someone else or I'm really scared of letting go of control. However, on the inside, since that day when I was 12, everything has changed. I know I can give my anxieties and my fears and my pride over to God who, to be honest with you, has done a much better job with my life ever since I gave him the reins. He has changed me not into the person who I thought I wanted to be when I was 12 years old, but to be more like Jesus. And to be honest with you, that is so much more than I ever could have imagined. I don't have to fear people anymore, because I worship a God who was also rejected and outcast. I worship a God who calls me his friend and his daughter, and his loved one. I've made some of my closest friends through the church and I've even felt that coming to here just for the past few months. I know that that's a glimpse of heaven and finally my perspective on suffering has shifted. To quote my mum herself, she said, without God I would still be disabled but I wouldn't have any hope. Since becoming a Christian, I feel like I've taken off a pair of sunglasses that I didn't even realize I was wearing. Different things have come into focus, and I've noticed different things in the world around me and in myself. Sometimes that's been great, and sometimes that's been really scary. But I'm so glad that I can now see. I kind of found my life by giving it away. And I would highly recommend it. Thank you for listening
0: thanks patty appreciate that that's not easy to, to talk about and we all have different things in our lives and that i think patty drew out some of those specific things in her own life personal stories and when are we're not trying to do cookie cutter testimonies bang one two three it's sharing honestly about what are the things that god has worked on in our lives so that was really helpful kevin Come and join us.
2: All right. Evening, church. Uh, my name is Kevin, as you may have noticed from Andrew's, uh introduction. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm here to uh, share with all of you guys on how I accepted Jesus into my life and how I and why I began to uh, follow him. So to begin, I was born into a non-Christian Chinese family, and if you were to ask me back then what I believed in, I would probably respond with uh, as Buddhist. But I didn't uh, I didn't have any spiritual connection to the faith. I just followed what I saw my parents doing, and honestly, the uh, the vegan dumplings at the temple they are so good. They are absolutely fire. So I might have been bribed a little bit. So. Uh, But yeah, uh, I never knew who Jesus was growing up. Uh, In fact, I didn't know that Jesus was a person at all. And uh, the only times where I heard Jesus Christ was when it was used in a conjunction with swear words. So uh, not a really good first impression, I reckon. Uh, So yeah, um, in my primary school days, I was that loud, rambunctious, and rowdy kid. So to all my former teachers, I apologize. So uh, yeah, constantly getting into fights and detentions and stuff like that. Uh, Upon reflection, I've come to realize that it was probably due to my dissatisfaction with my life and how that, yeah, how I perceived myself. And uh, emptiness and loneliness became very familiar to me. Upon entering high school, there was an SRE uh, Christian Studies class uh, that the school had offered, and uh, the school had handed out non-attendance sheets for the parents to sign if you weren't Christian. Uh, I may or may not have uh, lost it on the way somewhere, so yeah, my parents never saw it. So (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, this was the beginning of year seven, and uh, uh, so when I saw... Bunch of my classmates like following like a random teacher. I was like, oh, I guess I might as well join in. I didn't know where they were going, so let's see. Uh, They were going to a Christian studies class, which I began to see strange things with this teacher. It was something that I've never seen in someone before. And he taught the class with such radical compassion and patience, in which I've never seen in my life. So I wanted to know more about what he had to say. So fortnight by fortnight, I started going to the Christian Studies class and even began to attend the uh, weekly lunch clubs that uh, he had organized. Eventually, he invited me to attend one of the, uh, one of the youth nights, youth group, in youth group. Um, and I remember my first day uh, there vividly. The absolute love and compassion I saw there in this very building was so tangible that my mind was just blown away. And I wanted to know more. And ever since that day, I've been coming to Naui Baptist since. And the reason why I continue to come here is so that I could participate in the love that Jesus has so openly given to us as a gift for his sacrifice on the cross. So I'd like to share a verse that very much encapsulates my journey into finding the peace that Jesus offers not to, not to all the people in this building, but to the entire world as well, which is found in Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourself in the new created according to the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness ever since I first believed I have committed my life to God and even through the highs and the lows I've clung unto him daily and I know for a fact that he's never letting me go. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Friends, one of the things you can do uh, in encouraging one another in your small groups over the soccer game, be nice to each other at the soccer games, uh, and to share some of your stories. And uh, over pizza, how did you come to Christ? What was the difference? Uh, how did God meet you where you were at? And The better we know it the more we can articulate it the more likely we're able to share it with people uh, and to bring glory to god let me pray god we thank you that you are of god of mercy and compassion your son gave his life for us you raised him from the dead we can have forgiveness and fellowship with you we thank you god that it is good news and so we pray for ourselves, God, that we would appreciate the good news that we have received, the transformed lives we now live, and the grace of God in us. That we would pray that the gospel would run in triumph, that it would spread rapidly and be honored and glorified as it has been done by us. Lord, we'll glorify your name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.